السلام علیکم و رحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري واحلل عقدة من لساني يفقه قولي ربنا زدنا علما So we're studying Kitab al-Wudu in Bukhari and Wudu is the process of purification so that a person is able to pray because without Wudu is your Salah valid? No But to have wudu, you have to be in the state of cleanliness. And that means that the body has to be clean, the clothes have to be clean. So you have to know what is it that makes the body or the clothes impure. So that you can get rid of that impurity. So right now, in Kitab al-Wudu, we'll be learning about those things which, in this section, we'll be learning about those things which make the body or the clothes impure. And of them is the urine of children. Because many times people are confused. I was holding a baby and the diaper leaked. Do I have to wash my clothes or not? Hmm? And sometimes we're confused because it was a boy or it's only a breastfed infant. So what is the ruling concerning the urine of children? So Bab Bawl Sibyan. Children's urine, is it impure or not? And if it does fall on a person, does he have to purify his clothes or his body or can he just leave it? What do you know about children's urine? That it's different if it's a boy's urine or a girl's urine? Any other thing? If the child is only breastfed, then the ruling is different. And if the child is eating solid foods and the ruling is different, that the process of purification is also different, right? So let's study that. حدثنا عبد الله بن يوسف قال أخبرنا مالك عن هشام بن عروة عن أبيه عن عائشة أم المؤمنين So Aisha رضي الله عنها The mother of believers She narrated that أنها قالت That indeed she said أُتِيَ He was brought to who? To رسول الله رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم Someone was brought to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم بصبيين A child A baby was brought to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم And فَبَالَ And then he urinated عَلَى ثَوْبِهِ On his clothes. The Prophet ﷺ was holding the baby and the baby urinated. فَدَعَى So he asked for, meaning the Prophet ﷺ asked for, بِمَاءٍ With some water. فَأَتْبَعَهُ Then he followed it, إِيَّاهُ it, Meaning he made the water follow the urine. That the urine spring fell on his clothes and the Prophet ﷺ followed that up with Water, meaning he just sprinkled some water where the baby had urinated. It is said that this child was the son of Umm Qais. Or uh, that child, that baby was Hassan or Hussein radiallahu anhu. However, we know that he was an infant, a small child, sabiyin, boy. And we see that the Prophet wasallam he did not wash the entire garment. Simply what he did was that he sprinkled water on top. حدثنا عبد الله بن يوسف قال أخبرنا مالك عن ابن شهاب عن عبيد الله بن عبد الله بن عتبة عن أم قيس بنت محصن أنها that indeed she who أم قيس بنت محصن she أتت she came be with ابن أسان لها for her صغير very small meaning she came with a very small baby of hers to who 
to the Prophet sallallahu hmm? And it specifically mentioned that that baby would not eat food yet. Meaning he was just breastfed. إِلَىٰ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ So she brought the baby to the Prophet فَأَجْلَسَهُ So he made him sit. Who? رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ The Messenger of Allah where? فِي حِجْرِهِ In his lap. The Prophet ﷺ made that baby sit in his lap. And that baby فَبَالَ عَلَىٰ ثَوْبِهِ Then he urinated on his clothes. فَدَعَىٰ so he asked for bima'in with some water, فَنَضَحَهُ And then he poured it over, وَلَمْ يَغْسِلْهُ But he did not wash it. Meaning he just poured some water over the soiled area, but he didn't wash that entire area. He just poured some water on it. Now there are many things that we learn in this hadith. What comes to your mind? Before we get to the fiqh, that you know, how to clean and all that, what lessons come to your mind? Yes. That he didn't get upset, take this baby away. You know, he peed on me, he urinated on me. If somebody's child we're holding and their diaper leaks or something, do we get upset? We get very upset. First of all, we're disgusted. That somebody else's child, you know, leaked on me, whatever. We get very upset. We get upset with the mother or the parents that how irresponsible they are. And we make a vow to never hold other people's babies again. But look at the Prophet ﷺ, so humble. He was of the most busiest people ever. But he still had time to hold babies. Right? He still had time to hold children. And not just time, but he had the, you can say the humility to hold children. Because unfortunately what happens with some people is that, with many of us is that when we get busy, we don't give any attention to children. We're so occupied that we don't even notice children. And, or we think that it's gonna, you know, humiliate us if we hold somebody else's child. There's no humiliation in this. Not at all. That this is also amazing that the women brought their children to the Prophet ﷺ so that their children could meet the Prophet ﷺ. We might say, oh, you know, the children are going to bother us, let somebody else babysit them. It's only for a few minutes or hours or whatever. No, let the children come and see these things as well. So tender that normal feelings he had towards children. That no warning to the, to the mother that next time the child is brought, then, you know, make sure that he's properly, you know, wrapped and whatever, so that it was something so normal, so natural, that if the child urinates on someone, it's not a big deal. One more thing I noticed was that he made the baby sit in his lap. Sometimes they say that a, a newborn maybe keep him straight. Don't even make him sit. Right? So we see that the Prophet ﷺ made him sit. Right? And it was a breastfed baby only. He wasn't even eating food. Right? So a little baby also, he can be made to sit just for a few seconds. It doesn't mean you make them sit like that all the time. No. There is no harm. And he made him sit in his lap. That shows that he was really giving attention to the child. Not that he held the child, okay, gave a dua and gave the child back. No, he gave time in holding the child, making the child sit in his lap. So anyway, what we learn about the urine, the purification of the urine, is that there are different levels of impurity. First of all, remember that all human urine, whether it is of a male or a female, whether it is of an infant or an adult, whether it is of a breastfed child only or a child who is eating solids, all types of human urine is impure. All types of human urine, what is it? Impure, regardless of whose it is. Infant, adult, boy, girl, breastfed only, solid, fed, whatever. All human urine is impure. 
Why? How do we know that? Because it has to be purified. It has to be purified. Meaning if it falls somewhere, you have to at least sprinkle some water on top. If it was not impure, then you wouldn't even have to sprinkle water on top. So this is the first rule that we must remember. The second thing that we must remember is that human urine, depending on whose it is, it is of different levels of impurity. Different levels of najasa, depending on whose it is. Therefore, the process of purification is different. The level of impurity is different. And depending on the level, the process of purification will be. Now, first of all, is the infant, male infant, infant boy, that is breastfed only, meaning does not take any solid foods. The level of impurity is mukhaffafa, meaning it's a very light impurity. When it's mukhaffafa, light impurity, lesser impurity, then it means that the process of purification will also be mukhaffafa, meaning it won't be that hard. So what's the process of purification? Just sprinkling water on top. That is sufficient. And how would you do that? Scholars have said that it means that you just pour water on top a little bit, like sprinkle, without rubbing that area, without squeezing out the water. You just have to make sure that when you sprinkle the water, it covers the entire area. That is sufficient. You don't have to rub it. You don't have to squeeze it. Nothing. You just pour water on top. And this is who? This is who? Who's urine? Infant, boy, breastfed only. Same thing. Same thing. If it touches your body, same thing. You just clean with, you know, wet hand. Okay? That's sufficient. Secondly, is the infant girl. The infant girl, that is breastfed only. The urine is mughallada, meaning it is, it is greater in its impurity. It is greater in its impurity. This is why you cannot just pour water on top. You have to wash. That means that you don't just sprinkle water, but you pour water, you rub a little bit, you squeeze out. If needed, you pour more water on top. And again, you squeeze out depending on how much it is. You basically have to thoroughly wash the entire area. Thirdly, you have an infant, boy or girl, that is eating solid foods. The urine of such a child is mughallada again. The najasa is mughallada, meaning it's severely impure. Therefore, again, washing is necessary. Because heavier food means the urine will be different. Okay, so therefore, it has to be washed. In a hadith which is reported in At-Tirmidhi and Ibn Majah, the Prophet ﷺ said concerning the urine of an infant boy, sprinkle the urine of a boy and wash the urine of a girl. What did he say? Sprinkle on the urine of the boy and wash the urine of the girl. Now there is a question. What is the reason why the urine of a boy, infant boy, is not as bad as the urine of an infant girl? What's the difference? First of all, we see that the reason is that this is what is enjoined in the Sharia. This is what the Prophet ﷺ taught us. That boy's urine, this is what you do. Girl's urine, this is what you do. So this is how it is, and this is how we do it. Even if we don't know the hikmah behind it, this is the ruling concerning it. You know, this is just like when a woman is menstruating, she does not pray, and she does not fast either. And if it's the fast of Ramadan, she has to make them up. But does she have to make up the missed prayers? No. And when Aisha was questioned about it, she said, this is how it did at the time of the Messenger of Allah So this is how it is ordained in the Sharia. But when you think about the hikmah behind it, the wisdom behind it, scholars have given many reasons. 
One of them is that the boy's urine, it will spread. And the girl's urine, it is concentrated in one place. But if you think about it, the way the urine comes out of the body, the boy's urine spreads everywhere. And if you have to wash, if you have to wash that entire area, it will become very difficult. I have a boy and a girl, and I can tell you I've had many more accidents with a boy than with a girl. And those accidents were much more severe. And if I had to wash everything, I don't know what I would do. You know, difficulty brings ease. Okay, difficulty brings ease. Now imagine a boy, people are holding it and, and the urine spreads everywhere and you have to wash everything. It will become very difficult. But a girl's urine is such that it just concentrates, it collects in one place. And because it will be thicker in one place, more in one place. So this is why you have to wash that area. In a boy's urine, because it has sprinkled everywhere, it will be very less. So this is why you can just simply sprinkle water on top. Another reason that the scholars have given is that there is a difference between the urine of a male and a female. There is a difference between the urine of a male and a female. And this difference is not just when we know people become adults, but from infancy, from infancy, from the moment the children are born. There are chemical hormonal differences. Female urine is thicker. It is more, you can say, foul smelling uh, compared to the urine of a male. And it is said that a baby girl, she is exposed, her private part is exposed to many hormones in the uterus of the mother. And when a girl is born, soon after, you know, there could be even vaginal discharge coming from a girl, coming from a girl's private part. And even some baby girls may have bleeding. They may even have a small period. This is a fact. So an infant girl's urine is very, very different from a boy's urine. Very different. And color is different. The smell is different. The consistency is different. There is a huge difference. So this is why the process of purification is different and the level of impurity is also different. So to summarize, what do we understand? All human urine is impure because it has to be purified. Infant boy's urine, that is different. And what do you have to do with that? Just sprinkle water on top. Now, infant girl or a baby on solid foods or an adult, what do you have to do? You have to wash. So basically, there are two types of human urine. One is such that the najasa is mukhaffafa and the other is such that the najasa is mughallaba. That there is a difference in the acidity of the urine as well between that of a female and a male. So there are many differences. Because people say that, look, this is bias against women. Nothing such as that. Okay, now if an infant's urine falls on you, okay, on your clothes, whatever, does that nullify your wudu? No, it doesn't. Because remember we learned earlier in Kitab al-Wudu that wudu is only nullified by hadith. Okay, and hadith is what? That when a person uses the washroom himself, okay, or passes wind or any one of the other reasons that we have learned. So that is the only thing that nullifies a person's wudu. There are two opinions concerning that. Some scholars have said that if you wash a baby, change a baby, whether it's a toddler or a baby, your wudu will not break. Others have said that no, your wudu will break. What's, why is there a difference? Because uh, some scholars considered the touching of the private part, whether your own or somebody else's, that in itself is something that breaks your wudu. But other scholars have said that no, the t- touching of the private part merely does not break wudu. What breaks wudu is when something comes out of your body. Because... There are hadiths which, which prove this. That at one occasion the Prophet ﷺ commanded the people to 
to do wudu on touching the private part. At another occasion, he did not command the people to repeat the wudu. Why? Because if touching causes something to come out of the body, then that will break wudu. And if touching does not cause anything to come out of the body, then that does not break wudu. Okay, let's continue. Bab al-bawli qa'iman wa qa'idan. Urinating while standing and sitting. This is mentioned here to prove the permissibility of urinating while standing when there is a need. This was not a habit of the Prophet ﷺ to stand and urinate. Rather, it was a very rare occasion. However, the permissibility is there. حدثنا آدم قال حدثنا شعبة عن الأعمش عن أبي وائل عن حذيفة قال he said who حذيفة that أتى النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم he came to سباطة قوم the garbage dump the rubbish dump of a people فبال then he urinated قائما while standing meaning he urinated on that garbage dump while he was standing فَجِئْتُهُ And then I came to him بِمَاءٍ with some water فَتَوَضَّى And then he performed wudu. Now, majority of the common Muslims, they are very, very strict concerning this matter. It's considered almost forbidden to stand and urinate. Whereas we see that this is not something forbidden. This is something that the Prophet ﷺ did. And if someone stands and urinates, this is something that is considered immoral or of the actions of people of disbelief. And, you know, all of a sudden a person's status falls down and uh, children are taught that never, ever stand and urinate. It's considered, people are very strict concerning this matter. But we see that such an attitude is not correct. Why? Because the Prophet ﷺ, he urinated while standing. So for men, this is something that may be a necessity in certain situations. And where the need arises, a person may stand and urinate. However, remember, it should not be the habit. Because this was not the usual practice of the Prophet ﷺ. But the scholars, they have set two conditions. If a person is to stand and urinate, then two conditions must be fulfilled. The first condition is that a person can make sure that his body and his clothes will not get soiled by the urine. A person can make sure that his clothes, his body, will not get soiled by the urine, meaning by the splashes, because otherwise a person will be in that difficulty of you know, cleaning his body, cleaning his clothes. So he has to make sure that he is saved from getting soiled. Secondly, the condition that the scholars have set is that a person should not be seen by other people, in the sense that it should be done in privacy. Just as a person would urinate sitting in privacy, if he's standing and urinating, that should also be done in privacy. Meaning, no one should see the person urinating. Not that a person just, you know, walks into a washroom and stands in front of a urinal and urinates there and at the same time he's talking to other people. No, this is something that's not correct. There has to be some level of Privacy that has to be maintained. And uh, remember that urinals do not meet these two requirements. First of all, a person cannot protect himself from the sprinkles, from the splashes. And secondly, there is no privacy there. Now, what level of privacy? Inshallah, we'll study about that. But this hadith teaches something very interesting. That the Prophet ﷺ, when he had the urge to use the washroom, he used the washroom. 
even if that meant he had to stand and urinate on a garbage dump. What do we do? We hold on. Why? Because we have to pray Zohar. Right? Or we have to pray Asr. Or we have to pray Maghrib. And we say, okay, you know, let me not use the washroom, otherwise I'll have to do wudu again. So we hold off as much as possible. This is not correct. A person should not uh, resist his urge to use the washroom unnecessarily. When you need to go, then go find a toilet. Can affect the health of your uterus or, or whatever. You can have, you can develop infections, right? It can actually backfire. And it can also cause those muscles to become weaker, causing drops of urine to come out. And that is much more severe. Because we have learned earlier about the severe punishment for the one who does not save himself from, from the urine. And we also learned this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ, he performed wudu after using the washroom to always remain in the state of tahara. And this is something that is very, very helpful. You know how? That if you make a habit of doing wudu after using the washroom, then you're in the state of wudu. That means whenever you have to pray, you can pray. Now that I have two kids, many times it makes it difficult that, you know, you find the time to go use the washroom, do wudu, and then pray. So recently, I started doing this. Every time I use a washroom, I do wudu. I'm like, you know what? Somebody is watching the kids right now so that I can use a washroom. I might as well do wudu so that I can pray whenever I get the chance. As soon as I get the chance, as soon as I see the kids are busy doing something, I can just quickly stand in and pray. My salah is not delayed. And and it's very helpful. So it doesn't take much effort. You're washing your hands anyway. right? Just roll up your sleeves and do the whole wudu. So... You know, it's very helpful. And we see this in the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, that he would do wudu after using the washroom. If a person resists his urge to use a washroom, just so that he, he doesn't need to repeat his wudu, he can pray like that, uh, he won't be able to focus in prayer. If a woman is menstruating, even if she does wudu, it's not wudu. Why? Because she's not clean. You understand? She's not clean. But this is true, that if you have the habit of making wudu, then even in your period, you have to do wudu because otherwise you don't feel clean. right? You feel that you know your feet are not clean, your arms are not clean, your head is not clean. So out of habit, if you do it, no harm, but don't consider that to be wudu. Okay? And if you have the habit, then continue. If it's difficult for you, don't. But if you can, then go ahead, continue because it will. when you have to start praying again, it won't be difficult for you to, to do it then. Because if you break a habit, it's very difficult to develop it again. Bab Al-bawli inda sahibihi wa tasatturi bilhaid. Al-bawli, urinating, inda near sahibihi, his companion, meaning a person urinating near his companion, meaning, you know, a friend or whoever was with him. Wat tasattur, while being screened bilhaid by a wall. Meaning, is it necessary to be very far away from people in order to use the washroom or can a person Use the washroom while people are nearby, but they cannot see him. You know, these days, alhamdulillah, you have a washroom, so you can just close the door. But let's say there's a toilet stall. So is it okay for you to just close the door and people are right outside and use a washroom like that? Is it okay? Yes, it is. People don't have to stand outside, outside the main washrooms. No, they can be right outside the door too. A person might say, that, but I don't have complete privacy then. You might feel awkward. However, there's no harm in that. Okay? You might feel awkward, but there's no harm in that. حدثنا عثمان بن أبي شيبة قال حدثنا جرير عن منصور عن أبي وائل عن حذيفة 
So Huzaifa radhiyallahu anhu, he narrated, qala he said, ra'aytuni. What does this word mean? Ra'aytu, I saw, ni myself. I saw myself. Ana, I, wa nabiyu, and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Yes, I remember this happening once such and such happened. In the literal sense, flashback, but as an expression, it means that uh, it happened once that myself and the Prophet ﷺ, Natamasha, we both were walking. Once I and the Prophet ﷺ were walking, Fa'ata, then he came, he approached, Subatata Qawmin, the garbage dump of a people. Khalfahaitin, behind a wall. There was a wall behind that was a garbage dump, and the Prophet ﷺ and I, we passed by that. Fa'ama, then he stood, كَمَا يَقُومُ أَحَدُكُمْ Like one of you would stand, فَبَالَ And then he urinated. When I realized the Prophet ﷺ was using the washroom, فَانْتَبَزْتُ مِنْهُ Then I withdrew from him. Meaning I went aside so that he could have his privacy. فَأَشَارَ إِلَيَّ Then he indicated to me. فَجِئْتُهُ Then I came to him. Meaning he indicated, he called me back with a gesture. So I went back. فَقُمْتُ then I stood in the aqibihi near his back, hatta faragha until he was done, until he was finished. So what do we see in this hadith? That the Prophet ﷺ, he urinated while Hudayfa was close by. When Hudayfa anhu went away, the Prophet ﷺ gestured, you know, to call him back, and Hudayfa stood behind him, not facing him, but with his back towards the Prophet ﷺ. So both had their backs against each other. Okay, and he stood there until the Prophet ﷺ was finished. Why do you think the Prophet ﷺ called him back to cover him on the backside? Basically, as a shield, so that he could have complete privacy. Because remember, earlier I mentioned to you the two conditions. One of them is that a person is saved from the splashes of urine, and secondly, that he has privacy, meaning nobody should see him urinating. Now, if you're out in the open like this and you're facing a wall, a passerby. He doesn't know what you're doing, so he may approach you. And especially if it's the Prophet ﷺ. I mean, people would approach him and ask him something or greet him or whatever. So to have his privacy, the Prophet ﷺ called Hudayfa back, that you stand behind me so that nobody comes in, disturbs him. It's like, you know, having a guard. But Hudayfa was nearby, very close. But still privacy was maintained. How was privacy maintained? That Hudayfa had his back against the Prophet ﷺ. Now there's another important lesson that we learn in this hadith. And that lesson is, the Prophet ﷺ gestured and called him back. He didn't call him by using words. This indicates that the person using the toilet should abstain from talking, should abstain from conversing. If there was no harm in talking at that time, then the Prophet ﷺ would have just called him back. Hudayfa, come back and guard me. Stand behind me so that nobody disturbs me. No, nothing. He didn't say anything. He just gestured him to come back. Because it is not liked that a person who is using the washroom talks at that time. In fact, there is something that is reprehensible. The Prophet ﷺ said, Allah detests it. Allah hates it. When two people relieve themselves uncovered and have a conversation at that time. This is reported in Abu Dawood and Ahmad. That two people are using the washroom and they are having a conversation. There's something that Allah does not like. Now, okay, these are not two people both using the washroom, but even for one person. While a person is sitting on the toilet, he should not engage in conversation with other people. Whether it is on a cell phone or it is 
you know, by actually having a conversation with someone who's standing outside the washroom or outside the toilet stall. No. The person using the toilet should not talk. Texting is very common, right? Using the cell phone is very common, but people even talk on the phone in the toilet. So that's also not correct. You know, many times you go into the washroom, into hotel rooms, and in the washrooms you have a telephone right by the toilet stall. Hmm? Yeah, people even read books. Right? Yes. Now, many people will, you know, they feel that there's no harm simply because they don't know. They think it's only cultural, you know, that we feel that it's not okay, that maybe it's just cultural. No, it's not cultural. It's actually in the deen. We're not allowed. Yes, it's best not to do that. That when we talk, then what happens? The angels, what do they do? They write. Now, you're using the washroom. Those angels are kiraman katibin. They're honorable, noble angels. And, you know, we might be embarrassing them by calling them at such a place at such a time to write things down for us. So it's not really fair. Bab al-bawli' inda subatati qawmin urinating at a people's garbage dump. Now, a garbage dump is a place that's already polluted. It's already dirty. So there is no harm in urinating over there. But there is a problem. If a person stands on it and urinates, okay, the splashes can come. And if he's standing on a garbage dump, which is like a heap of garbage, then he might be seen by other people. Likewise, his feet might get soiled, his clothes might get soiled. And if he stands at the base of that dump, then, you know, the urine can actually come towards him. So in either case, whether a person is standing on top of the garbage dump or at the base, person should be careful that he is protected from the splashes and also from being seen by people. But we see that the Prophet ﷺ seemed to have urinated while standing on top of it. Why? In order to protect his body, perhaps that was better in that situation. His clothes wouldn't get soiled then. And for privacy, he had his companion standing behind. حدثنا محمد بن عرعرة قال حدثنا شعبة عن منصور عن أبي وائل قال he said كان أبو موسى الأشعري أبو موسى أشعري يشدد he was very severe في البول concerning urine meaning in the matter of urine he was very strict how was he strict meaning in its purification that when it came to cleaning urine washing it off he was very strict ويقول and he would say Inna indeed, Bani Israel, the children of Israel, kana, they would, ida asaba, when it would reach, sauba ahadihim, the clothes of one of them, qaradahu, he would cut it. Meaning the Bani Israel, if their clothes ever got soiled by urine, they would have to cut off that piece of garment. They would have to cut off that piece of their clothing. And this is something that we learn from the Athar, from the traditions of the Bani Israel, from the Israeliyat. فَقَالَ حُذَيْفَةُ So Hudayfa, when he heard that, he said, لَيْتَهُ I wish he amsaka, he withheld, meaning I wish he wasn't that strict concerning urine, that he's indicating to people that you have to, you know, cut off your clothes or what. I wish he was not too strict concerning the matter of urine. And he said, أَتَى رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ The Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم came, سُبَاطَةَ قَوْمٍ The garbage dump of a people, فَبَالَ قَائِمًا And he urinated while he was standing. So in this hadith, what do we see? Abu Musa al-Ash'ari radiallahu anhu, he was very strict concerning the matter of urine and he mentioned to the people the difficulty that the Bani Israel would have to experience. So he mentioned to the people the difficulty that the Bani Israel would have to experience in dealing with soiled clothes. Why did he mention that to the people? To show 
how bad it was if urine ever fell on your clothes. He wanted to teach the people that make sure urine never ever falls on your clothes. Because if it does, then this is very bad. The Bani Israel would have to cut their clothes. So he was in a way warning them that make sure it never falls on your clothes. You never get soiled by urine. And why was he saying that? To tell the people, don't stand and urinate. Why? Because if a person is standing and urinating and he's not extremely careful, then there's a very high chance that his clothes, his body could get soiled. The splashes could come right back on the body. The clothes could get soiled. So this is the reason why he was being very, very strict with them. No, this was actually one of the difficulties that was imposed on Bani Israel. You know, in the Quran, Allah says about the Muslim ummah, ummatan wasatan. Why? Because the previous umam, they were not moderate in the sense that they had very strict rules or they were extremely lax. I mean, it was extremes. So the Jews, they would have to cut off the clothes. And the Christians, they didn't care. Okay, If urine fell on the body, on the clothes, no big deal. No need to wash off. But this ummah is ummatan wasatan. That you're not cutting off the clothes, nor are you going to leave those those stains. What you're going to do is you're simply going to wash. So when Hudayfa heard that Abu Musa al-Ash'ari is so strict regarding standing and urinating, then he said, I wish Abu Musa was not that strict. Because I myself saw the Prophet ﷺ standing and urinating. And then he mentioned the incident. Now, we must remember that the Prophet ﷺ mostly, most of the time, he would sit down in order to relieve himself. This was his habit. And this is something that is proven by Aisha anha. She said, there's a hadith in An-Nasai that Aisha anha said, don't believe anyone that tells you that the Prophet ﷺ used to stand while urinating. He always used to sit down. But we might say this hadith contradicts this hadith. This is not a contradiction. Aisha anha was indicating that it was not his habit to stand and urinate. His habit was to sit and relieve himself. And Hudayfa anhu is the only one companion who has reported this incident. In fact, who has reported any incident in which the Prophet ﷺ stood and urinated. And what does that show? That the permissibility is there. However, however, preferred is to sit and urinate. The permissibility is there. It was not his habit. Likewise, people should not develop a habit of standing and urinating, but where and when the need arises, as long as the conditions are fulfilled, it is all right. That we see that the circumstances were such that they did not allow him to sit and relieve himself. Because imagine he was passing by a garbage dump. And if you sit on it or buy it, you're going to get soiled. Okay, So this is why he had to stand and urinate. So likewise, if a person is in such a situation where, let's say, you end up at a public washroom and the seat is extremely dirty, then what's the option? Hold back? No. You have to use a washroom, you have to. Then what's the sunnah at that time? To stand and urinate. And this just shows the Prophet ﷺ was a human being. You know, he had the urge to use a washroom as well. Is it saying that having a habit of standing and urinating affects the body as well? So Allahu A'lam, again, it should not be a habit, but it is necessary that you teach your sons how to use the washroom standing as well. It's necessary. It's our obligation as mothers because they could be in a situation where they need to. And if we don't teach them the conditions, the two conditions, then we're not fulfilling our responsibility as mothers. Yes, that she's saying that our deen is so useful, it's so easy. 
that before, you know, she had to take her son to a public washroom or something, she would make him sit down before that, you know, clean the toilet seat, whatever, spend so much time making it difficult for the child. So deen is really easy. And um, this hadith, it also indicates the permissibility of urinating on someone else's garbage dump. On someone else's garbage. Prophet ﷺ passed by the garbage dump of another people. So a person may, as long as the owners don't have any objection, or the people whose property it is, they don't have any objection. Because in many countries today, you'll go and you'll find people standing by a wall, urinating behind something, you know, by a tree or whatever, behind the house or whatever. And I have seen myself written on the wall in Urdu, it is not allowed to urinate here. Right? Outside the mosques, even people will just stand and do it. This is just because public washrooms are not as easily available over there, okay, in such countries. You know, as much as people complain, we have so many blessings here, so many facilities here, for which we should be very, very grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, if there is a sign such as that, then definitely no. But if there isn't, then there's no harm. Because it, it's possible that a person is traveling somewhere, walking somewhere, he's out away from, you know, a Tim Hortons or anything, and you don't find a washroom. And if you need to, then you have to go. So in that case, don't feel that you're doing something wrong, that you're trespassing or you're damaging somebody's property. No, you're not damaging anyone's property as long as there is no objection, there is no harm. In a hadith, we learned the Prophet ﷺ, he said, beware of the cursed ones. And the people asked, who are the cursed ones? And he replied, people who relieve themselves in public pathways or in shaded areas. People who relieve themselves in public pathways or in shaded areas. So this is something that we need to be careful about in the sense that we have to educate the people as well and be careful ourselves too. One more thing that one way in which this can be applied to us is changing children's diapers. That some places are designated for changing children's diapers and other places are not. So yes, when we're changing a child's diaper, you know, alhamdulillah, these days with the facilities that we have, you know, you have a change pad, you have wipes, everything. Yes, the najasa won't spread. But somebody might not feel comfortable if you're changing their baby's, uh, your baby's diaper on their bed or on their kitchen table or in their living room. If they're not comfortable, don't impose yourself. Likewise, somebody might not like it if you're washing your baby, you know, in their sink. So go with whatever is acceptable. As long as you can make sure that you will not get soiled, your legs, your clothes. The thing is that typically, especially in, in that time, men were out more compared to women, right? So this is why that allowance is there. And obviously men are physically able to do this and women are not. So in that situation, what do you do? You just hold until you can find a toilet and start looking for a toilet immediately for a washroom, okay? And many public washrooms are such that there isn't just one stall, but there are multiple stalls. So go find the cleanest one. Usually the handicapped one is the cleanest. So go for that. Carry wipes in your bag. Alhamdulillah, these days you get small packs of wipes as well so that you can clean the toilet seat thoroughly. Layer it up with toilet paper, whatever you can do, and use the toilet. Then, As long as you're covered, you have the privacy, and you can be safe from getting soiled, it's fine. And besides a public washroom, I mean, you should be careful anyway. Not that we're saying that people are generally very, very dirty. No, people may be clean as well, but accidents may happen and somebody might be carrying some kind of infection or what. So you want to protect yourself as much as possible. Bab ghasl dami Washing off the blood. 
الدم the blood the al of dam الدم what does it mean the but you know that al the slam ta'rif is of different kinds so some have said that this is of umum meaning of generality meaning this is general washing off blood meaning any kind of blood all types of blood because blood whatever kind it is whoever it is it is impure according to many scholars but others have said that no this does not refer to all types of blood but the specific kind of blood adamul ma'hud which is the dam of hayd of periods menstrual blood and this makes more sense because the ahadith are relevant to the subject only now remember that blood is of different kinds different types therefore the ruling concerning that is also different first of all menstrual blood that blood in itself is impure and that means that it has to be washed off it has to be removed in the proper manner the second kind of blood is human blood from any other part of the body so let's say you know a person cut his hand or what so that blood some scholars have said that it is impure however the stronger opinion seems that it is not impure what's the evidence behind that that there are many ahadith about companions praying salah while they were bleeding blood was coming out of the body like umar radhiyallahu anhu he was attacked while he was praying he did not break his prayer likewise we see that the sahaba they would go for battles and after that they would pray and we learned that their wounds would still be bleeding okay so if the blood is coming out and they're praying that means that that blood is clean because if it was impure then they would not pray in that state there was a companion whose uh, certain limb had to be amputated if i'm not mistaken it was urwa ibn zubair that his limb was amputated uh, was to be amputated and he said that when i'm praying then cut it off because otherwise i cannot handle the pain i'll scream too much when i'm praying then cut it so obviously when that would be cut blood was going to come out during battle there's salatul khauf right the fear prayer which is to be prayed in the battle and in the battle it's only natural that people will get cut wounded and they will bleed some profusely some less so you can pray in that state that does not break wudu it is not impure and uh, the thing is that the human corpse is also tahir meaning the dead body of a human being that is also clean and if blood is coming out of that that blood will also be clean this is just like a fish when it's dead it is clean it is tahir and the blood that comes out of that that is also tahir the third kind of blood is flowing blood blood that is flowing out of an animal that has just been slaughtered so as the neck is cut off the blood is flowing out that blood is impure because allah says in the quran qul la ajidu fi ma uhiya ilayya muharraman ala ta'imin yat'amuhu illa an yakuna maytatan aw daman masfuhan aw lahm khinzir fa innahu rijs it is rijs what is rijs what is impure daman masfuhan blood that is flowing the fourth kind is blood that has remained in the meat after slaughtering okay so the animal was slaughtered you got the pieces of meat from the butcher and now there is still blood inside it now that blood is tahir it is clean so if some of it falls onto your body onto your clothes there is no harm because that blood is clean is tahir what's the evidence that it's tahir because it's not daman masfuhan it's not daman masfuhan it's not the blood that is flowing it's the other one so it has to be clean 
which is why if you are cook the meat and then you see some redness on the bone, then don't think it's haram. There's no harm. Likewise, you know, some people, they like their meat rare. So when you see that it's pink inside, like absolutely pink, there's no harm. It's not haram. Some people like their meat to be cooked to death, literally. That it's hard and so chewy. That's their preference because they, they don't want to eat it raw. Okay? But there's no harm in that. So then number five is blood of the animals. Which animals? The maita, the dead of which is clean. Meaning that animal which when it dies, it is still clean. So for example, a fish. When it dies, you don't slaughter a fish, right? You just catch it. When you catch it, you take it out of the water, it's dead. When it's dead and there's blood coming out of it, that blood is clean. Likewise, if there's a fly... Let's say it, uh, you know, you, you squish it, you kill it somehow, and then that blood comes onto your clothes. Or let's say there's a mosquito. Okay, and the blood comes onto your hands or something. Now, is that blood clean? Yes, it is. Why? Because that insect, the dead body of it is clean. It's not impure. Then we have blood of tahir animals, clean animals, the maita of which is najis, meaning that animal when it dies, not because it was slaughtered, but it dies through some other way. So let's say a cow was shot, a goat fell or whatever, and that maita becomes najis. That animal was clean, but when it died through a way other than being slaughtered in the right way, then the blood of such an animal will also be najis. So if there is haram meat somewhere and the blood falls on you, it's not the one maspuhan, then is that clean? No, you have to wash it off. Then the seventh, the last one is the blood of haram animals. Whether it is a pig or whatever, that blood will also be najis. Cat, dog, okay, that blood is also najis. If you have a cat and that cat is bleeding and that blood comes onto your clothes and you have to wash it off properly. حدثنا محمد بن المثنى قال حدثنا يحيى عن هشام قال حدثني فاطمة عن أسماء قالت جاءت امرأة أسماء said that a woman came to who النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فقالت and then she said أرأيت have you thought meaning could you please tell me remember in the Quran أرأيت what does it mean أخبرني in the Quran those of you who have studied أرأيت that expression it means أخبرني meaning tell me inform me so, أَرَأَيْتَ, could you please tell me that إِحْدَانَ, one of us, تَحِيضُ, she menstruates. فِثَوْبِ, in her cloth, meaning that blood comes onto her clothes. كَيْفَ تَصْنَعُ, how should she do it? Meaning, how should she clean the clothes? قَالَ, the Prophet ﷺ said, تَحُتُّهُ, scrape it off. Okay, first of all, scrape it off. What? The blood. Because once it has dried, then there is some, you know, that you can scrape off. ثُمَّ then تَقْرُصُهُ بِالْمَاءِ Rub it with some water. قَرْس is to rub with fingers. So take some water and rub to get as much blood out of the cloth as possible. And then finally وَتَنْضَحُهُ And then rinse it out. وَتُصَلِّ فِيهِ And then you can pray in it. You might say just toss it into the washing machine. But if that's not possible for a person, then we should know the correct manner of purifying Clothes when they are soiled by menstrual blood. What's the procedure? There are three steps. What are they? First of all, scrape off as much as possible. Secondly, rub, make it wet and rub. 
and thirdly rinse it out now that is sufficient what if the color is still there it's acceptable it's okay because you've rinsed it out but the stain has remained blood stains okay it it does stain now you don't have access to bleach everywhere or whatever so th- there's no harm and in fact even if a person does not use soap even then it's okay you see how simple and practical our deen is for everyone whether someone is you know living today in this country or any other country whatever circumstances a person is living in it is possible for him to or her to obtain tahara and pray properly it's best to rinse out first and then put into the machine because then you know for sure that the other clothes won't get stained but otherwise i've heard myself a scholar saying that it's okay as long as there is a rinse cycle i mean the water is sufficient that no traces will remain on anything there is enough water that will rinse it out thoroughly but it's best to preferable that you rinse it out separately first and then you toss it into the machine so there are a number of things that we learn here first of all when a woman is menstruating or after she's menstruated only those clothes or part of clothes have to be washed that are soiled with blood we think that if we have worn a particular scarf or a particular abaya or a particular shirt during our periods after the periods that the whole thing has to be washed even if it's not soiled with blood no you don't have to it's a different thing that you'd like to have a cleaner feeling no problem but if there is a hijab or something that you wore during your periods you can even wear it afterwards without washing it only that has to be washed that is soiled with blood how easy how practical secondly we learned that removing the blood is wajib you're not allowed to pray in clothes that are stained with menstrual blood it's not allowed thirdly we learned that if there is some impurity that is physical then you have to scrape it off you have to remove it before washing it you have to remove it before washing it fourthly we learned that you can obtain tahara even through minimum amount of water i mean how much water do you think a person would use if he washed in this manner very little right so you can obtain tahara in a simple way as well subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilaik assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh